0: Today on the show, we discuss the raw power of the HSA. Emmy, Dan, and Courtney share their financial wins from the past week, and we discuss the fee war between Vanguard and Fidelity. Welcome to the ultimate crowdsource personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, guys, really excited about this week's episode, getting a chance to talk about all the actionable takeaways from Monday's episode with Tamika from House of Fi. Really, really actionable episode. And uh, to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey,
1: Jonathan, I'm doing quite well. Yeah, we got Thanksgiving coming up this week, or I guess when this is published, it would have been yesterday. But got my family coming into town here in a couple hours
0: and just kind of gearing up for a nice, fun family week. Cool, man. Well, I know you've been working hard going into this. We have been kind of slowly coordinating, getting health insurance, getting actual health insurance, and we've been on uh, Liberty HealthShare for the last what year or two, and it's been it's been pretty good. I mean, I don't really have any complaints about it, but I think both of us were interested in getting actual health insurance for Choose FI if possible, and you know that opportunity has become available. and And frankly, I say all this to say that I know that that is something that you've been putting a lot of time into. Over the past two weeks, and I thought it'd be cool just to slow down on it, both to talk maybe a little bit about the transition back, but more so what's really exciting is that because we're able to get this health insurance, we picked a plan that has an HSA attached to it. And we haven't spent a lot of time on this show talking about the HSA, frankly, because I was jealous that I didn't have access to it. But now that we do, man, what a fun conversation.
1: Yeah, this is a whole new world for me. I've never researched HSAs at all prior to this week, literally. I think the only thing I knew about it was Brandon, the mad scientist, has a fantastic article calling it the ultimate retirement account. And I know, how you much and I did it, it
0: irritate to- you not to have access to the ultimate retirement account? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. I mean, he paints quite a picture. And I mean, it's nice to finally have access to this thing. So I've been doing a ton of research, but I guess just first on the actual health insurance. I've been on Liberty health chair for almost four years now. And I really have thoroughly enjoyed them and their customer service. I think it's a brilliant model that they have, but like I've talked about, there have been issues with the actual hospitals and doctors here with uh, balance billing issues. So in essence, you go in, you say you have Liberty. They tell you, oh, we accept that, et cetera, et cetera. And then they basically accept the negotiated payment from Liberty, but then they bill me for the remainder. So in essence, they don't accept it at all. I would have been much better off just asking for the cash discount price. So I've gotten burned a couple times in this. And luckily Liberty has been amazing and they've hired lawyers and negotiated, and then ultimately paid the remaining amount, which is beyond what I expected. So Liberty has, has exceeded my expectations in every possible way. But it still scares me. That unknown scares me. What if it's something catastrophic, like a heart attack or something equally bad that could ruin your entire life. And that's not the way that I approach my financial life. I try to cap the downside if I can. And this was something that really has come to the forefront of my mind that I just didn't want it looming there anymore.
0: Yeah. And I echo that, man. I mean, I've, I've been very, very happy with Liberty for what it is. I mean, just that you get a lot of value and it is great. Frankly, it's a great backstop for many individuals and it's certainly better than having no insurance at all and no plan whatsoever. But I also am excited, especially in particular, I'm excited. And this has always been my little hangup. Frankly, it's the HSA. I wanted to have access to the HSA. For me, it was not like something on the side. I love having access to these additional accounts. And I wanted to spend a few minutes actually talking about why the HSA is so amazingly cool because many people actually are either in open enrollment or will be getting those sorts of talks right about this time of year. And they're trying to figure out how to pick their plan. And I want to just kind of walk through my mindset when I had access to it originally and now how we're collectively pursuing it. So when your HR presents you your benefits and your options each year, uh, there's different categories for these, but you know at their essence, you're going to have options for high deductible plans and low deductible plans, meaning you got to meet this dollar amount before the full extent of your benefits kick in. What's really cool about that is with the plans that have high deductibles. So, I, Brad, I believe there's some limit. Maybe it's like 1500 or $2,500.
1: Yeah, I actually just Googled this and it says the IRS defines a high deductible health plan as any plan with a deductible of at least $1,350 for an individual or $2,700 for a family.
0: Wow, I was shockingly close. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very
0: impressive, John. <laughs> All right. Well, what's cool about this is then you can get access to an HSA. And it's important to contrast this with a FSA. So with an FSA, many plans come with an FSA. But typically, historically, an FSA, which is a flex savings account, is use it or lose it money. So you kind of have to predict how much your your healthcare expenses are going to cost ahead of time. Then If you don't use it, essentially you lose most or all of it. I think there's a very small amount that now can be rolled over, but it's not a lot. And it's definitely a strategic play. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, you could know exactly what you need, but it's not ideal. I've never really liked it. And HSA, I love. And Brad, in just a second, I'll slow down and have you talk about the limits. But basically, you can put your money in completely tax-free and whatever you don't use can roll over to additional years. Now the benefits far exceed that, but I thought maybe we could slow down just for a second. Brad, are you familiar with what the HSA limits are for uh, single individuals versus a family?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in 2018 for the HSA, the contribution limit is $3,450 for an individual and it's $6,900 or double the individual for the family. So 6,900.
0: Awesome. Okay. So if you, if this is for your family, now you can put an additional $6,900 into this account for medical purposes, completely tax-free. This is, this is tax-free now it gets better and it keeps getting better. My friends, if you use it for a, for any sort of medical purposes, you get to draw it out tax-free. Now, the amazing part about this is there is no restrictions on when you get to pull it out. So If you have expenses next year, like a, I don't know, a pregnancy or glasses, prescription glasses or a procedure, whatever, if you can pay that out of pocket and you track those expenses, you can take your HSA money, which you didn't have to use, right? You didn't use it sitting in the account because you just paid for these bills with your credit card and that money that's sitting in the account, you can actually even invest that and you can get access to the same types of ETFs and funds that we are always talking about on this show. And you can let that grow and compound for years and years and years. And then because you've saved your receipts for what you had to pay out of pocket, you can draw that out anytime, completely tax-free. It's just, it's truly incredible. And let's say that you just overdo this, like you loaded up $6,900 a year for your family for 10 or 15 years. You never really have to touch it because fortunately your family hasn't had a lot of medical expenses. So now you have, you know, I don't know, let's just say you had 69, $80,000 in there And on top of that, it's been growing the way that you would expect an investment to grow. So now maybe it's, it's well over a hundred thousand dollars in this account. And it's, you know, it keeps adding to that year over year. You've basically created a machine that can fund your medical expenses later in life. We all talk about and hear about how life gets more expensive from uh, a medical perspective as you get older, you've been able to pre-fund this account, which is basically able to cover your healthcare expenses when you need it farther down. Now, let's say you're one of these fortunate individuals that just never has medical issues. My grandmother, she is 80 something years old and literally she takes a multivitamin a day. That's all she takes. It's absolutely unbelievable. If she had a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000 in the account, man, you have all this money that's trapped and you're not even using it. It's, it's so cool because after you reach 65 and you haven't need to use it, you it basically acts like a traditional IRA where you can draw it out penalty free and you'll just pay taxes on it based on your current tax rate. It is like the best of both worlds. In fact, There's triple tax savings involved with this. When you think about it, just really, really incredible stuff. And it's something that we don't spend enough time talking about. And frankly, selfishly, it's because Brad and I haven't had access to it, but now we do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Gotta love it. But yeah, there was a lot of info there, Jonathan. So I'm just going to try to try to summarize it real quick. So yeah, with an HSA, if you have an HSA eligible health insurance plan, which means you have a high deductible plan of over $2,700 for a family, $1,350 for an individual and your health insurance plan has to be HSA eligible. You have to make sure that you can open up an HSA. Let's say in our case, we're, we don't have an HSA through any company, So we're each individually opening up an HSA and we can fund the maximum in 2018, which for our families is $6,900 each. So what's wonderful, Jonathan, I wasn't sure if we would be able to max out the the full amount since we're only starting our healthcare plan on December 1st, but there's something called the last month rule that actually makes us eligible for that. As long as we keep our insurance for, I think it's more than a year or the full calendar year thereafter. So anyway, on basically December 1st, I'm going to deposit $6,900 into my HSA. This goes in tax-free. So it's a tax deduction on your income tax return. So there's no income tax. There's no FICA tax. It's tax-free. It grows tax-free like Jonathan said, and you can potentially pull it out tax-free if you have medical expenses or had them. So what's funny is I'm literally going to let this compound for hopefully the next 50 plus years. I will quite literally save my medical expenses from 2019, 2020, 2021, probably scan them and put them up on my Google drive or some such, and When I want to pull that money out 50, 60 years from now, I will just download those expenses, print them out and then submit them as an eligible expense, even though it was 50 or 60 years in the past. So this is one of these kind of really amazing fi hacks that are only eligible to people who know the rules. Most people are saying, oh, I have a medical expense. Let most people are saying, oh, I have a medical expense. Let me submit for reimbursement right now, but no. We want to let this compound for as long as we possibly can because we don't need the money imminently. That's the beautiful part about this. And then Jonathan, just to summarize again, what you said was if by some chance you're like your grandma who doesn't have any medical expenses, didn't have any, you can still just pull it out down the road after 65, there's no penalty and it just operates like a traditional IRA. So there is literally no downside that I know of to investing in an HSA. And yeah, I'm thrilled. So. I'm going to put $6,900 in on December 1st. And then for the 2019 year, I think it goes up to $7,000 for a family. So I plan to do that on January 1st. So yeah, this is a a nice
0: little hack that we now have access to. There's some people that don't have access to the HSA and that we're hoping that we're going to move on right now because this stuff is so awesome. I'm sorry. I've got more. (laughs) <laughs> all right, check this out. So the next piece of this is that you you talked about documentation, but you're going to gloss over it because you're an accountant and you take it for granted. The rest of us are scrambling to figure out how do we track this stuff? You trust me, you do not want to be in the situation of trying to round up all of your receipts for the previous year and figure out the dates, whether or not they were paid. It's a bad strategy. So let's go back to Brad's Google Drive. That's what I use as well. And what I would do is create an Excel sheet with just a list of every medical expense that we paid. And on that sheet, I would then create a hyperlink to like an image folder also on the Google Drive where you could view a picture of the scanned receipt. So you have your Excel sheet with the date, who the provider was, what the service was, what the dollar amount paid out was. And then you have, you know, download receipt here and you take that as a hyperlink and it connects to an image folder where you have all of your receipts in order. Once you do this, you're just set. I mean, it just it just makes everything easy. And then the next thing, Brad, and this was the part that we had to go with is, oh, well, this is great. I can visualize having this money in my account. How do I pick a provider or an investment account? How do I pick an account that will also allow me to turn this savings account into an investment account? And I know you've done a little research this week and I'd love to hear it.
1: So, yeah, I did some research personally, but actually two of the moderators of our choose Up five Facebook group were the ones who helped me most directly. So William told me that in the research that he had done, that a company called lively was the best option. They have no account fees and you can keep the money in there for zero dollars in fees. But if you wanted to invest it, I think it's roughly $3 a month. So it winds up being between 30 and $40 per year, which is a fairly nominal fee for having full service. And it doesn't matter if you have $10,000 in there or 200,000 it's the fee is the same. So that seemed like a big win to me. And I actually opened up a lively account. And then quite literally the next morning, Wright, Who's another one of our moderators posted that fidelity is now offering an HSA account and there are no fees whatsoever, no fees for the account, no fees for investment, you have access to many of their low cost funds. And yeah, I'm actually now going to probably close my lively account, which again, didn't cost me anything to set up and open up a fidelity account. So that as of right, this minute seems like the best possible option, but just as always i'm i'm willing to explore new opportunities but yeah it seems like fidelity and Lively are, are the two best current options that exist
0: awesome well i'm really glad we got a chance to go over some of those details i think that it's very very valuable information frankly it is something that it's a massive vehicle that individuals in the FI community can use to speed up their plans and and it's just it's very very useful so all right but let's go ahead and switch gears brad and talk about this past week's episode with tamika her story just covered the gamut and it it was so motivational for me to hear it. And I personally got so much value from it. Yeah. You and me
1: both. And this certainly resonated with people all across our Facebook group. I saw tons of comments and my wife, Laura was so impressed with Tamika. And it's easy to kind of forget when you hear Tamika that, oh, she blogs at the reluctant frugalist and she has a podcast called house of Five. She was just a regular person two years ago who just found choose a five randomly. And then went down this path of phi, and has really changed her entire life. Now she's subsequently started this blog and podcast, and she's trying to help families just like her. And I think that is what's so cool about this whole community that people really want to help. And that's a very easy way to go about it, right? You start a blog. who knows if anybody's going to read it, but you just put your words out there and you never know who you can resonate with and i think that's just so incredibly cool and yeah jonathan she had everything like you said it ran the gamut of the immigrant parents from barbados to college hacks to being a reservist to starting her own
0: life's business to starting a podcast right like it's it's amazing yeah, she just keeps going it's just it's really it's really cool and i think so many of you were inspired by this episode that i saw house of fi in the top 100 iTunes podcast list yesterday. I mean, so many of you listened to that episode and said, I have to find out more about what they're doing. And I don't blame you because frankly, I want to follow everything that, that she's doing and that her and Wendy are doing over there. I think it's just an incredibly compelling story and just taking action, right? I mean, like you said, two years ago, she's listening to podcasts. She's sifting through getting out of debt, moving her family to a better place. and now. She hears these ideas. We always we always talk about this, right? I mean, these ideas are great, but they won't change your life if you're just listening to it. They change your life because you take action on them. The ideas themselves are compelling, but it's you being willing to take something from thought and implementing it in your own life that then has you looking back and say, wow, I can't believe the person that I've become over the last six months, the person that I've become over the last year. It's kind of like this quote that I've read from Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he says, a mind once stretched can never return to its original condition. I mean, how powerful is it, Brad, that once you see these ideas and you actually implement them, it's incredibly hard to unsee it.
1: Yeah, and an equally powerful quote is from Tamika, which is what I've come to believe about myself. Think about how brilliant of a quote that is, what I've come to believe about myself. And it's because she's expanded her mind. It's because she's opened herself up to new ideas, new communities and new projects. That's what's so cool about going outside of your comfort zone. And like you said, taking action, if you just go to work every day and sit on the couch, when you come home, nothing really is going to change in your life. You have to take in new sources of information and you have to take action. She is just the perfect case of this.
0: You can achieve the success you're looking for. You can achieve the life you're looking for, but you got to take inventory. You got to focus, create a plan, and you got to act on it. It requires action at every single level. And I, you know, I think as we kind of sift through what actually happened here, we can actually tie threads to all the content that we've produced over the last year, but even more specifically to the case study that we did with Alan and Talis, where we watched Talis build a business. How many of the principles that we talked about in that show were replicated in Tamika's story?
1: Yeah. I mean, her having to go and get a bricks and mortar location and actually having to negotiate for that. Think about how uncomfortable that would be for so many people, just for any type of business, not less for a lice clinic. So, I mean, that, that has to be an interesting conversation. But to me, the most interesting one was how she contacted other business owners in this lice field. She contacted multiple lice clinics in other States, she said, and she went over the numbers with, the actual company who she knew was going to paint the rosiest picture, but she could approach it with her intellect and say, is what I'm looking at. Does this make sense based on the lice clinic owners that I've contacted? Right. So putting together multiple pieces of information and she had that one business owner. I think she said from another portion of Massachusetts who literally turned the computer around and showed her what was possible, that this could be a six figure business. And that's Jonathan, to me, that's amazing.
0: And the other thing was just the fact that it was a business. I I know for myself, I'm very good at creating jobs for myself, but businesses, businesses that you can scale and you can grow and you could even scale yourself out of like that has been for me the biggest light bulb. It's very easy to create a job. How do you how do you move from having a job to creating a, to having a full on business and I think you would probably look at me and say that I'm getting better at that, much better at that, but that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by seeing what other people are doing and implementing best practices in your life. Yeah, it's really hard. It's
1: hard to not be in the business, to actually think of it as the business owner. You have obviously struggled with this, but I think it is something you're dramatically better at now than you were certainly a year ago or even as recently as three to six months ago. So it's amazing. And Tamika is at the point now where she said she works three hours a week she comes in, I think on Saturday mornings, she has these other three employees who do the rest of this. And that's, that is absolutely brilliant. And she said, finding Phi allowed her the ability to develop her dream. And this is not the American dream. This is not, I think, as she said, the immigrants dream, it's her dream. And what does that look like? And for her, it was building this business. And she has created this array of talents that really is, the prototypical talent stack. I mean, she secured this lease. She learned how to blog and create websites. She went to a coding boot camp. She's learned business finances and how to get a brick and mortar store, how to run a lice clinic and deal with other human beings. This is
0: an amazing set of skills that she's picked up in a very short period of time. And Brad, my favorite thing about that episode was just how you got ambushed. With Tamika, you don't know what's coming next. When you started that episode, you certainly didn't expect that we were going to be talking about building a brick and mortar lice clinic. Like you got hit with that 20 or 30 minutes and you said, say what? And then you're like, wow, this is actually amazing. And then now she started a podcast and she's rolling with it and she's pursuing coding. Not only is she getting her kids to take a class, which is cool, she's doing it herself. And then she's implementing that talent stack into all the other things that she wants to do. She didn't go to school for coding. You know why she's a coder? Because she codes. You know why you're anything. You know why we're podcasters? Because we podcasted, right? I mean, we were willing to try it. In this world, very few things require that you actually go get a degree, that you get permission from a higher institution to do something. You're a writer because you write. You're a piano player because you play piano. You're a gardener because you garden et cetera, et cetera. What is it that you want to do? And instead of thinking all the reasons that you can't, I didn't get accepted into a school. My GPA wasn't high enough. I didn't score high enough on my SATs. I didn't have enough money to go to the prestigious college. No, you are whatever you want to be because you do it and you take action on these ideas. Like for me, that's, that's encouraging. And, and I didn't grow up with that mindset. I was always looking for permission. And now it's like one of the, that quote that I threw out there earlier It's really hard to unsee it. And it's and when you're in a vacuum and you're thinking it's just you, it, it feels very lonely. It feels like, well, this can't possibly work. But when you're surrounded by a community of people that are all thinking this way and by thinking this way, it means basically looking for opportunities and seeing them everywhere and then sharing their ideas and sharing their action back with the community. It propels all of us to a better place. We're inspired by Tamika. We're taking those ideas and then we're making ourselves better. There's actionable takeaways in every story. You don't need to do exactly what she's doing, but at bare minimum, the motivation should be there to pursue your own dream and figure out what that is. That's what this episode does. And honestly, think about it. Over the next several years, how many more stories from our community are we going to be able to highlight of people that heard Tamika's story and said, you know what? That's what I was waiting for because of that episode, I decided to pursue this and here's where I am at now. And then what effect does that have downstream for the millions of additional people that are waiting for someone to tell them, you know what? You don't need anybody's permission. You can just do it.
1: And Jonathan, that was something we talked about in the episode and it gives me the perfect opportunity to say like maybe the best quote I've ever heard on choose FI, when she was talking about why did she think she could be an entrepreneur or who gave her permission to do something like opening a lice clinic. And she said around the question, who are you to do this? It opens the door for you to say, wait, normal people are doing extraordinary things. I'm normal too. So I could do the same thing. I can be extraordinary. Think about that. I got chills right? right
0: now, dude. That's amazing.
1: Isn't it amazing? I can be extraordinary. Normal people are doing extraordinary things. You and I, we started a podcast less than two years ago, and now it's reaching all these people in 190 plus countries in the world, and we're having an impact. I still have to pinch myself sometimes that, that this is real, but it is the exact example of what she's talking about. Normal people doing extraordinary things, but you have to take action. And I know we sound like broken records, but man, you have to take action. That's the key. You cannot, even if you take in the best information there is. Like for me, I listen to Tom Bilyeu and Jocko Willink and I read Tim Ferriss and Try to get all this information that is just going to make my life better. And I could sit there passively and take it in and think I'm doing something good. But it, man, it doesn't mean anything if you don't take action. So to me, that is the key to all of this.
0: And Brad, to highlight people doing extraordinary things, people in this community, Dan just shared this on our Facebook group four years ago, watching my girls play in the surf at Lake Michigan after some <laughs> world class crap at work. I made myself a promise that I would retire as soon as I possibly could. I never would have dreamed that I could get there in just four years. I fired today. My unending thanks to Brad and Jonathan for putting the final piece of the puzzle into place when I discovered Chooseify this summer, the frugality. I had the rentals. I had the max savings at 66%. I had the side hustle remodeling real estate. I had the puffed up 403B, but was still blowing through money like a sailor on shore leave. I grew up poor, so cutting back was like putting an old comfortable suit on again. Flipping that one last switch has now brought me six years at home with my oldest and 10 years at home with my youngest. (laughs) Next summer's big project, (laughs) building a big old Brad pool in the backyard. (laughs) 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 Thanks to everyone here for your collective support and engagement in this important sea change in financial responsibility and sustainability. The fire is spreading all around us. Oh, my goodness. That is so awesome. Congratulations, Dan, to you and your family to have that time. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, Dan, huge congratulations. That's remarkable. And and to spend that time with your kids, that is the absolute best. And yeah, I can't wait to see the uh, big old Brad pool in the backyard. And I'm sure Jonathan will ask for pictures of you frolicking with your kids. So. <laughs> You're stealing
0: my thunder. <laughs> Can we get a side dose of frolic, please? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And yeah, so another another post I saw on Facebook was from Emmy and she said, We did a little thing last night, everyone. I've been working so very hard to hit this goal of ours, and now we can finally say that we paid off our house and are completely debt-free, all while still maxing out our 401k and Roth, of course. It takes effort, grit, sacrifice, but if you keep pushing and moving forward each day, you will reach your financial goals. You can do it. Don't give up.
0: Man, Brad, don't you want to get like some sort of like cheer or shout or something? We need to like get like a producer to come help us figure out some really awesome thing we can do to get people to be able to come on the show live and tell us about the action they're taking in their lives. I would love to make it a 2019 goal to be able to set up live call-ins. Yeah, I don't see why we couldn't do that. That would be fantastic. Well, talking about building systems, that needs to be something that goes into place. So let's uh <laughs> let's keep that in reserve. All right. And I got one more, man, there was just so much this week. I mean, you can almost see it. It's building. I mean, think about this, Brad. just before I do this last one, realize that like, if this is a 10 to 15 year path to financial independence from finding it on day one, if you've, you know, if, if you knew nothing about it, finding it on day one, it's like a 10 to 15 year path. Let's say that a lot of people have made pretty good decisions already though. And they just need to like dial it up or intensify it. There are so many people on this community that have already been partially on the path or are now focusing it and dialing it in. And within the next couple of years, there's gonna be so many people in our community that are saying, I, I did it, or, or, or a version of it, or they haven't reached a financial independent number, but along the way, they have been able to engineer their life in such a way that the number largely becomes irrelevant. And to be able to capture those stories and put them back out to the community, how empowering is that for us to keep us motivated to keep doing this and for people that are still on the path? Yeah, you're right. Tamika is really a perfect
1: example of that. also just going back to her for a second is she is just a regular person. I know it sounds like she's a blogger and a podcaster, but she is just on the path. And she told me in a Facebook message that they're probably somewhere around 10 years away from five, but they're on that path. And that's the beautiful thing is they're taking action. And we see that every single day in our Facebook group with members of the community who are posting just remarkable things like this.
0: All right, Courtney sharing on Facebook that today her and her husband paid off their student loans, $87,000 in total, man. I got to tell you, having eliminated a a significant amount of student loan debt, the bandwidth, the financial bandwidth that's in your life when you don't have that recurring monthly expense, it's truly freeing and it gives you so much flexibility. So huge congratulations to Courtney and her family. Uh, We are excited for you. And, you know, Brad, Dan said this awesome thing. He said the fire is spreading all around us and, and it's worldwide at this point. I mean, we have local groups in I think over 20 different countries at this particular point. Big Earn from early retirement now, he just went to a local meetup in Sydney, Australia, and Chelsea shared an article that was on the Sydney Morning Herald. And it was also on TV talking about the millennials that are chasing a different future, talking about the fire movement. This has been something that basically Every affiliate, every local or countrywide affiliate of the BBC has started to talk about. I know Gwen from Fiery Millennial was actually featured in an article. We're seeing this. It's picking up speed. We got this review from someone in Sweden. He says, I found Chusefi about seven months ago. I listened to all the episodes. Not all of them are applicable to a Swedish audience, in particular the 401k. He says, I am probably one of the biggest 401k Roth IRA experts in our country, given all the FI literature, blog, and podcast I've been consuming after my initial discovery of FI. Uh, He says, I I regularly send people to the YFI. I think it's a great introductory. And I think one of the major factors behind the success of this podcast is that the hosts are regular middle-class family guys with an above medium capability of expression and packaging of info. Me and other Swedish fire bloggers are struggling to get the fire going in our country. And I believe this is the tool that will break it for us. For instance, I linked to the first Collins episode in one of my articles and got a number of emails afterwards thanking me for introducing them to you guys and to his content. Many thanks for hours and hours of qualitative listening. And I wanted to pause on this just for a second, Brad, and use this as an opportunity to say that we are actively looking into starting an international version of this podcast that can really encapsulate what does it look like at a tactical level to pursue this when you don't live in the domestic United States. I mean, we're seeing downloads in 190 countries. And while a lot of what we talk about is qualitative, right? Quality of life, engineering your life, it's not the technical tax tech stuff that would only apply to U.S. residents, we realize that a lot of it is. And we think that there is an opportunity there to really expand this out, recognize that this is a this is a worldview. This is a way of looking at life. It's not just limited to understanding what a 401k is. So I I'm really excited to explore that more details to follow. But, you know, hopefully that's something that at the beginning of 2019 or maybe into the middle of the year, we'll be able to talk about a little bit more.
1: Yeah, agreed. And certainly the fire is spreading. It's really, really exciting for this entire community. So Jonathan, you were talking about items that aren't just us only, but let's actually spend a minute and talk about our favorite us investing company, which is Vanguard. There's been a, a fee war in the mutual fund industry, which is really, really exciting for all of us in the FI community. Because as you know, one of the biggest things that we talk about is investing in low cost, broad-based index funds. For me, it's control what you can control. If you can keep your expenses down on your investing funds and keep those expense ratios and certainly investment advisors and those kind of things, then you get to keep more of your returns. And that compounding over decades is just going to make a huge difference. So in the last month or two, Fidelity actually came out with some zero fee funds, which is remarkable, but some people aren't all in on fidelity actually. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but Vanguard just shot back with their own little salvo here. And what they did was they lowered the minimum investing amount for many of their incredibly popular Admiral shares funds. So VTSEX being one of them, Jonathan, we, that's the total stock market index fund that we've talked about many times on this podcast. So. Previously, it was $10,000 as the minimum investment, and there was an investor class version of this that you could get into with a $3,000 minimum. And then once you got a $10,000 balance, they would automatically transfer you over to VTSAX, which has a tiny expense ratio of four basis points or 0.04%. But now what happens is you you only need that $3,000 minimum to access VTSAX. So for many people this is a huge decrease in expense ratios and it it isn't limited only to that fund there's a list of funds and we will link to a wall street journal article about this in the show notes certainly but yeah jonathan this
0: is really exciting you know and it's so funny uh, to hear us you know sometimes quibbling or getting too fixated on the these tiny differences in in these basis points don't don't get me wrong i'm all about it and i'm very excited about this particular news but i've just been thinking in general And I'd love to kind of get some context here. I think it'd just be fascinating. Let's take a look at like a a million dollar portfolio, Brad. And they have a million dollar portfolio. And before they found the FI community, they had this, you know, kind of shark advisor, really an advisor that did not have their best interest at heart, had them in high turnover funds, had them in, had them in an assets under management model, maybe between all of their expense ratios and fees, it, it came to basically 2%. So you know, real quick math, Brad, if you have a 2% fee or assets under management attached to your million dollars of investments, how much, how much is that costing you each year? So just back of the envelope math, that would be $20,000
1: in fees on a million dollar portfolio. So just 2% of that is 20,000. And, and yeah, when these expenses are relayed to you, it's, Oh, it's just a 1% fee. It's a 1% for your investment advisor. It's 1% for your mutual fund expense ratio, but yeah, that can be $20,000. Yeah.
0: So, you know, you hear about us, if, you, if you've listened to several of our episodes, you hear about us, about us talk about the 4% rule or the 4% rule of thumb to, to show you how serious this is. Basically half of your living expenses are going just to paying fees. I mean, you're, you're hemorrhaging, you're hemorrhaging money in fees when you do it this way. In contrast, Brad, what if someone moved to a low cost index fund that maybe had a point or 0.05% expense ratio attached to it. How much is that costing them each year on a million dollar portfolio?
1: Yeah. So with the 0.04 be $400.
0: Okay. So just by making that decision, you're saving $19,600 a year in essentially fees. You're getting no benefit, essentially no benefit from that. Now that's incredible. So then, you know, if we then talk about someone that is able to get it down from, a 0.04% down to this news. And maybe now they're able to get it down to like a 0.03%. We're talking about saving hundred bucks a year, or even the high end, let's say you go from a 0.04% down to a 0%. You're saving 400 bucks a year, which is really, really cool. But it, there is like a point of like diminishing returns on a million dollar portfolio. And what came to my attention recently, tying it back to international is that while we lose our minds over 2% fees, I know individuals in countries where when you add in all the fees and the turnover and the cost of holding those accounts with an advisor, it's costing them over 7%. And then on top of that, there's surrender charges that could cost you upwards of $40,000 to try to get your money back. It's tied up with them for 25 years. So as bad as it is in some instances inside the United States, in other places of the world, you it's almost impossible for you to make money. I mean, keep in mind for this individual that we talked about originally that had a 2% assets under management. The problem is just that they could do better. They're going to still make money. They're just going to make less than if they followed the advice that we talk about on this show. For an individual overseas in one of these areas that's paying close to 7% total in fees, it's impossible for them to make money and it's very, very expensive for them to get their money out, which is why I think as this information gets out there, as it gets crowdsourced, as it's not hidden behind Kind of walls and walls of paperwork and tape, you're starting to see people rise up and say, "I want to get some control over this' and how do I? There's an urgency. There's a real urgency, which is why we're excited to see this this information really spread around the world, yeah, It's certainly very applicable
1: to people in other countries. And obviously, these fees matter to us here in the u s, even though we're incredibly fortunate that the fees are already so low. But, you know, I, I, just, while you were talking, I ran a couple of scenarios and I wanted to pass them along here. So let's assume that person with a million dollars, let's say they're 40 and they're going to invest for 40 years and using just a rough estimate of 8% annual growth on these, on these investments. Obviously that's not a straight line thing. They're clearly going to be up years and down years, but let's just use that as 8%. So now you have to take out the fees. So Jonathan, you use that example of someone who had 2% in fees that lowers their annual return from 8% down to 6%. And then compare that with someone who had that 8% market growth, but only had 0.04% in fees. So their actual return was 7.96%. So when you run the scenario here for someone investing for 40 years, starting with a million bucks, getting a 6% annual return. They're looking at $10,300,000 roughly 40 years down the road, which sounds like an amazing number, right? But then contrast that with the person who went with the total stock market index fund with the only 0.04% fees, and they had. $21,400,000. 21 million four hundred thousand dollars
0: so <laughs> all right. right so yeah you're right we, we we were playing small ball here i forgot to like play that out so it's not just nineteen thousand dollars a year it's costing that two percent that you're paying in fees that someone that goes with a low-cost index fund isn't is actually costing you closer to 10 million dollars that's just the numbers that you ran right
1: <laughs> yeah it's 11 11 million dollars and a little bit of change so quite literally double over that 40-year time period. So this is not just a tiny amount. This is huge dollars when compounded over decades.
0: Yeah, because you lose the ability of that money to be working for you the entire time because it's getting sifted out due to basically inefficiency. You know, it reminds me of a letter that Buffett wrote in 2006 to the shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway. And he just, he's describing these broker helpers, right? These, this kind of messaging that, trust me, you can't do this yourself. You need someone that's smarter than you, that's gone to school for this, that understands, you know, all these things that you couldn't possibly fathom. And the market is for for chumps. We're going to help you outperform that dramatically. And we're just going to take a small piece of this in order to justify all of their brilliance. These broker helpers move you in and out of holdings, always consistently trying to beat the market. But it's it's kind of like there's no there there because when you add in the fees on top of that over the long term, it's just, it's nearly impossible for them to outperform. And so be very careful of people that are offering to help you with your money. It's not that that isn't out there. There certainly are good advisors and, and there's ones that do have your best interest at heart. But frankly, nobody cares about your money more than you do. So it's worth understanding how a low cost index fund could act as a baseline for your investment vehicles. And I think it's really remarkable that, both Warren Buffett, probably the greatest investor of all time, and Jack Bogle, the founder of index funds, agree on this point. You know, Warren Buffett's instructions to his widow and to his estate is, when I pass away, I want the, the vast majority of my holdings to be in low-cost index funds. And if it's good enough for Warren, I mean, I think for the most part, we would say it's good enough for us.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. This is worth spending time on because expenses matter. And yeah, Jonathan, we talk about it fairly often here, but it's hard to talk about it often enough because you see an example like that, where literally you would have double the amount after 40 years or $11 million more. If you started with a million bucks, 40 years prior, if you just invested in a low cost index fund, as opposed to trying to outperform the market and getting this investment advisor and a high expense ratio fund. So assuming the same market return, I guess is, is the important caveat there, but expenses matter really,
0: really do. You know, in most things, it's that saying fortune favors the bold. But with investing, fortune favors the boring. Boring is your best friend. It's okay. You're not overthinking this. It's okay. And I think the power of, of reaching enough, you know, the power of just understanding that the math works for you tells you that you don't need to go all in on one hand. The power of index investing is that you're just keeping up with the market. And look what the market has done since the dawn of time that it's been tracked, if you can keep up with that, which basically just means making one simple decision and sticking with it, you're going to be fine. It's going to be okay.
1: And Jonathan, just to put a close on this, because I alluded to Fidelity before. So Fidelity opened up these Fidelity zero total market index funds and and other funds. and, And Fidelity is a great company, but I think you see zero and you think that might be the only consideration, but actually Dylan link to this great article on it's a financial planning.com. And it's, we'll link this up in the show notes. It's Vanguard versus fidelity, zero funds on fees, expense ratios, and tax efficiency. And I'm just going to read it here. So they're talking about VTI, which is the EFT version of the total stock market index fund. And they said that this Vanguard fund VTI and other share classes passed through no capital gains in 2017. Thus, fund holders were in control of when they paid those taxes or possibly even avoided those taxes overall. While no one knows just how tax efficient the Fidelity zero funds will be, Elizabeth Kashner, director of EFT research at FactSet Research Systems, points to Fidelity's existing index funds. She notes that the Fidelity total market index fund generated a 0.79% in capital gains, which quote, for high bracket taxable investors, capital gains distributions cost about 0.19% in taxes. That's nearly five times the 0.04 expense ratio charged by Vanguard. So that's a lot of, lot of detail, obviously. And I'm reading that fairly quickly here, but basically the capital gains distributions that gets passed along also matter into this. So Vanguard with their total expense ratio of 0.04 is higher than fidelity zero. I guess they're arguing there are other considerations here and this tax efficiency matters as well. So. Both of these are fantastic options, and I think you just need to read an article like this, look into it a little bit further, but I don't think you can go wrong with either, but it's not just as simple as looking at just that one number.
0: I don't want to poke the bear here, but I am curious, and I'd like to dig into that just a little bit deeper. Just I, I like to understand things and kind of get a sense, and I, I'd be curious just to pick your brain on this. So We are huge fans of tax efficiency and controlling your tax rate, and I know that we haven't really talked about this a whole lot in the show, but we do have a fair number of people in our community that are dividend investors, meaning they pick stocks that they know pay out a consistent dividend. And I know one of the criticisms of that method has been that when you pick a utility stock or, or a company that's known to pay a 2 or 4% dividend uh, year over year, you're losing the flexibility of controlling your tax rate. And I'm curious, as you look at specifically now an index fund and you think about an index fund, what does tax efficiency mean in the context of of an index fund? Like vtsex does pay out a dividend, Right.
1: Yeah, Jonathan, so I'm on dividendinvestor.com and and yeah, I see that there is a dividend history for VTSAX. So, yeah, it appears that they do pay out a dividend, and that would be from the dividends being passed through from the underlying holdings, but I guess there are two components potentially to tax efficiency here. So, there's the dividends, but there's also the capital gains. And now this has to do with how efficient the fund is on I guess buying and selling the underlying holdings. And this is honestly a little bit outside of my comfort zone and my skill set, but essentially that gets passed through to you. And when you receive your 1099 at the end of the year, it's going to show both the dividends and those capital gain distributions. And what that article that I read a minute ago is implying is that Vanguard is especially efficient with their capital gains in the underlying holdings and they pass along virtually nothing. Whereas Fidelity has, it looked like, I think it was, it's at 0.79%. And again, I don't claim to know what that calculation is, but it's very interesting to know nonetheless, that there is an additional taxable component that we have to be concerned with when we're talking about these mutual funds.
0: All right. Fair enough. I'll let it ride for right now, but maybe it's something for 2019 that we could dive into and get a little bit better at our understanding of that stuff. Like you said, a little bit outside of our comfort zone here, but we do our best
1: Yeah, we, we certainly do try our best. And I think we need to get someone on to talk about the very technical calculations that we were referring to there. So that's something that I've just never seen presented. So it would be interesting to find out precisely in this case, how that 0.79% was calculated. So that would be really cool. And yeah, Jonathan, just as kind of like a, a half pivot, I think in 2019, we need to get on some dividend investors. I think this is something. That we haven't approached at all, and I know you kind of jokingly said uh, poke the bear there. Well, it's because
0: ago. I know that it would be easy to come off as anti dividend, but it's simply because we just we just don't talk about it a whole lot. I would say that it's not something that that I've done. I'm not I'm not against it, but I certainly have heard some feedback that it's not the most tax efficient way, and that there's some significant downsides to doing it. We've spent an entire year, two years, talking about the simple path to wealth, and I think our community has really. Got a very good understanding of that. I'd love in 2019 to kind of take a look at some of these other paths that people are approaching and kind of build them into the conversation. Where do they fit? How does someone consider this? I think the thing that really irritates me with certain what you would call like sharks in the water is like when they have people invested in things that they would never invest in, like they wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. That's the thing that drives me crazy. But there's a lot of space between here and there. And I'd be curious to kind of find out why people get so excited about some of these other techniques. and kind of the the path that we've chosen ourselves. Yeah.
1: maybe we can get a round table on who knows I'm sure Jim Collins would jump on from, from that side. We could get some dividend investors and we could just talk it through and, and see what bubbles up. And I'd be fascinated by that.
0: I'm all in, man. Let's definitely make that happen. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately that is going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And there's three books that we offer. The first is J.L. Collins book, the simple path, to wealth, The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future, and the third book from Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, and leave us a short written review, and then send us an email to feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we
1: have one winner today, and the winner is Sarah Beth. And she said, I found Chooseify and immediately started binge listening to the episodes. I'm so close to being caught up, but just couldn't wait any longer to leave a review. Brad and Jonathan do a great job of getting a variety of guests and not only letting the guests dive into their backstory, but also letting them share their passion or experience and expertise. Amazing show. Awesome. Thank you so much for the feedback.
0: Hey to everybody. We have one more announcement for you. 2019 is quickly approaching and Camp Fi has rolled out their calendar for the year and there's. There's one that still has a few tickets available in Florida. This is in Gainesville, Florida from January 11th to the 14th Uh, at this event. It's really, really cool. Coach Carson is going to be there. Joel from 5180 Jillian from Montana Money Adventures, Noah and Becky from Money Metagame, Michael from Uncommon Dream and Nick True from Mapped Out Money. This is just going to be a wonderful event and I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. So if you are interested in tickets for that event, you can just go to campfire.org and click on the link. I think there are still a few tickets available to that. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.